This is the Journey 66 Book Writing Podcast. I'm Melissa Parks with Dave Getz, and we are your road trip advisors. You may be at mile marker one and just thinking about an idea for a book, or maybe you've gone off-road in your writing and you want to restart the journey. Join Dave and me as we help you buckle up and write. There's that wonderful day when you hold the book you've written in your hand. There it is, your book, your name. In publishing jargon, authors will often receive the first offs, the first couple books from the publisher before it is widely distributed. It's such a great emotion. It's your blood, sweat, and tears. And let us tell you, you will likely throw a couple tantrums while you're writing your book or dissolve into a puddle of tears at that moment when you think, this book is never going to happen. The entire process from writing to publishing challenges every ounce of your character. We are here today to provide you a roadmap so you can prepare for those challenges. Let's get really granular here today, Dave. What is the first step to creating a book? I think it starts with the passion for an idea. If there's no passion, there's no great book idea. I think every book idea has to have passion and passion takes different forms. It's not all emotional, but I do think ah, the book publishing journey starts with a, with a passion for an idea. I don't remember the exact moment when the idea for Death by Suburb actually hit me, but I remember watching these tiny size two women peer over the steering wheel of these huge SUVs. I think it was the Chevy Suburbans. And I wondered, why? They're in the middle of the suburbs. There's never more than an inch or two of snow. Why are they driving these huge machines? I grew up, and, and why I observed it is I grew up in rural parts of North and South Dakota with usually about 100 inches of snow is a lot of snow. My grandfather only had a pickup truck. It was a two-wheel drive. Of course, he had the tractor in case things got really bad. But now, of course, it's different. Farmers, everybody has a big four-wheel drive truck. But when I grew up, your vehicle wasn't something you... Um, it, it just had a different function. So I realized when I started to observe these women that there was something else going on other than the need for a big SUV, the external need to, to basically help them through the mud and the snow. And tell us what that was that they needed. <laughs> you read my book, Death by Suburb, and you can find out. Actually, hey, come on, we're not promoting your book here. <laughs> no, we're not. Not at all. Actually, what it was is there's, is, this, is there's this deeper desire for the suburban life, right? The suburban dream with the successful kids, which I called immortality symbols, right? They convey immortality. When you can go to a cocktail party and talk about your wonderful soccer friend, oh my God, my son is just so, you know, he's in the travel leagues. Oh man, people are already looking at him and he's not even in high school yet. And we, oh boy, God, you know, and so you, you say these things, but what are you conveying? Are you conveying how either smart your son is or athletic? No, you are conveying your own immortality. And so I realized that even with the SUV, it's, it's symbolizing something different. Okay, and Dave, I have to ask you this. Why are you passionate about this then? I don't even know. I think I observed it, and it was strange to me 
So I, in a sense, I, you could argue I came from a different culture, from North and South Dakota to the Chicagoland suburbs. But then I wanted it. And I think that was the transformation. I realized I was criticizing them, but that's exactly what I wanted. And so thus began the journey. <laughs> it was kind of a personal journey to write the book. And so you started all to observe all these strange suburban rituals and <laughs> behaviors. What came after identifying the passion? Actually, I started writing down ideas, and I just started throwing ideas down you know, in Word files and in either that or scraps of paper. And so every time I would observe something, I would write it down. But then I had this idea for a book, and I struggled for a while. I think I say it took me seven years to write Death by Suburb. First couple of years, I was a little bit fuzzy on what the really the idea was. But, uh, but yes, it, 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 was, it was starting to write. I mean, starting to write a paragraph on it. And sometimes that's all you have. That's all you can do, but you start to write. And this is the longest leg of the journey, the writing? Or how long did it take you, for instance, to oh, write that book? Man, from the time I started actually writing to my third or fourth revision of the entire manuscript, uh, the publisher actually asked me to rewrite, I think asked me to rewrite the book twice. Now, not a complete rewrite, but there was some significant rewriting that they asked me to do. Some publishers won't actually ask you to do that. In fact, many publishers are just acquisition editors. They acquire it, and then they proof it, and that's pretty much it. But this, fortunately, because it made the book a lot better. I was very, very grateful for the request. But I would say, I, I, I think it was. It was close to seven years from the time I started writing to probably the time I, I stitched in that last story that the publisher asked me to stitch in before it actually went to the publishing process. When do you start to engage a publisher, say you want to go with a traditional publisher and you think you might have a chance at a traditional publisher biting on your idea, when do you start this part of the journey? It's really important to note to everybody who is on this journey that the book publishing process is not sequential. We have to talk about it sequentially because we're trying to create this roadmap, but some of these things are, need to happen at the same time. So uh, it's not just first you do this and then you do this. Then you do that, and then you ha you know, then you find an agent. So, uh, and that's especially true for new writers. So we always say that as you are writing your book, you need to start publishing your ideas regularly on a blog, or create a podcast, some way to build your email list. This is a concurrent step with writing your book. So, what are the steps? Well, one is writing a book. Another is building your following, and that needs to happen the moment you come up with an idea. Start publishing a blog and start figuring out a way to capture email addresses so that you are building the list of people to whom you're going to promote your book. So that's really, really important. And so if you say, oh, my book is done, now who am I going to sell this book to, especially if you self-published, that's pretty much only your Christmas list if that's all you have. So. The first thing is getting the idea, but as soon as you start writing it, start to publish regular, whether on a blog or maybe through a podcast. Figure out a way to capture email addresses, and, and, and we'll talk about this in some other podcasts. But start to collect email addresses and start to build your following while you're also writing your book. And it's good if you have a goal 
in mind for building that list. Otherwise, you can become pretty complacent and lazy about building that list. Absolutely. I, I mean, should you have 2,000 on an email list? Should you have 5,000? If you had 10,000 emails, I can tell you that a publisher would pick you up in a heartbeat because that's what publishers want, ultimately. They're less interested in your idea. Uh, they're obliquely interested in your idea. I mean, they're looking for good ideas. Don't get me wrong. And they're looking for books that are you know slightly different from something else that's out in the market. But their eyebrows will raise when they go, oh, you have, you, you have 10,000 people on your email list or you're an executive director of an organization that has 20,000 members. Or, I mean, th their eyebrows will raise and they'll go, oh, yes, we, we'd like to consider your book for publication. It, it, it's just how, the, it's how traditional publishing works. Right. And we you have to play the game. Or if you decide not to play the game, and we've done books... Uh, we've done memoirs for people that only wanted to publish 50 copies and they never wanted the book up on Amazon, right? That's a certain kind of book. So the other thing that happens non-sequentially when you're writing a book is that figuring out, should I get an agent, go with a traditional publisher or self-publish, right? Isn't that also a non-sequential part of this whole writing journey? It is. So you don't write the book and then start to think about an agent or who the publisher is going to be. From the moment you start laying down sentences, you need to start thinking, am I going to self-publish or am I going to try to pitch an agent or a publisher? I think we always say that roughly 80% of all books that are published today by traditional publishers uh, come through agents, so agents are important, and about 20% just are uh, directly submitted by the author to the publisher. And uh, so you have to think about that. And so if you do not have what we call a large platform, meaning you have a little business and, and, and you have few clients and you want to write this book because you think it'll give you credibility. Unless you have a big email list, publishers, again, are just not going to be interested. So what we recommend that if you do want to take the journey of, of trying to pitch a traditional publisher is create that first chapter, make sure you're clear on the thesis, you have a book structure, and then put together a marketing plan for the book. That comprises your book proposal. So do that after you've completed, let's say, what we call your thesis chapter. The chapter in which your idea is fully explained and it's in all of its glory. In a sense, you have nine more chapters left to write. And in nonfiction writing, it's not like fiction writing. In fiction writing, you have to pretty much complete the entire book, unless you're Stephen King, right? And you've been publishing for 40 years. But uh, but if you're a nonfiction writer, you can get by with one or two chapters that you pitch the publisher. So you have your book proposal plus one or two chapters. So we would recommend you start thinking about it right away if that's your goal. And you pitch that publisher right after or you pitch the agent that you're pitching the book to as soon as you've completed one chapter. Get that proposal done and get it out the door. Here's one thing I would say that even if, even if you are going to self-publish, the discipline of writing that book proposal will crystallize your thinking, it will sharpen your thinking, and it'll force you to put together a marketing plan for your book or a promotion plan, perhaps that's a better phrase for it. It will force you to do that early on as opposed to kicking the can down the road and waiting until you have the book completely done or published, self-published. And so it's really important that you start to think about how you're going to promote that book. And a book proposal does that for you. 
I think we could do an entire podcast episode just on that topic. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and we will. We will. So let's assume you've exhausted all of your options for an agent and you also don't get any nibbles from a traditional publisher and you decide to self-publish. Then what? What is self-publishing in a nutshell? Self-publishing is simply a means to bypass traditional publishers who are allegedly the gatekeepers of ideas. And prior to Amazon and the internet in the early to mid-90s, prior to that, most people were limited by whether or not they could get their ideas published. What is that story about Jack London? He pitched, what was it, like 500 or 663 times he was rejected. He sent in, I think it was Call of the Wild. I think it was Call of the Wild. Anyway, he's rejected all that that many times. And I mean, who 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 among us can can <laughs> take that many rejections? So self-publishing, the advent of self-publishing really hit uh, warp speed with the internet. Now, self-publishing has been going on for centuries, but it really hit warp speed with Amazon. Now, here's some data that you should know in 2000, I think it was 2018, the number of print and ebooks that were self-published in, a, I think it was by Amazon and through CreateSpace or now it's KDP Amazon, was 1.68 million. That's it was, staggering. It's staggering. Up from the competition one, out there is just staggering. It's unbelievable. Up from 1.19 million. So basically 1.2 million in one. So in one year it jumped what? You could argue it jumped. 50, it jumped almost 50%. Wow. That's wow. crazy. It was over 40%. That's a crazy number. So self-publishing is here to stay. It's exploding. And there are a lot of reasons why people self-publish, by the way. It's not just, oh, I couldn't get a traditional publisher, right? Some people do it because they want to control the rights. And there's a lot of self-publishing where people have the capital to, to publish a book and they say, you know what, I'd rather control it myself. And I, and I tell the story all the time. I've published with a traditional publisher and I've published my own books. I have a fly fishing podcast called Two Guys in a River and we've published a book called uh, The Fly Fisher's Book of Lists. Life is short, catch more fish. And by publishing through Amazon, we get over 50% of, of the take. So if your book is 20 bucks, we get what, $10. Well, if you publish with a traditional publisher and you publish a paperback, you're probably getting a dollar a book, especially if you're a first time writer. That means you have to tell, sell 20,000 books to make $20,000. If you're self-publishing and you sell 20,000 books and you get $10 a book, you get 200,000, right? So it's that risk that self-publishers have to take on when they self-publish a book and some people just want to control the rights and they want to control that so sometimes when you have a big following you just may you'd probably be better just to do it yourself you'll make more money if that's the goal i don't think making money is the goal of publishing but uh at least not with the book itself but that's a whole nother conversation right so is amazon the only publisher distribution platform there is in self-publishing or are there other options? Absolutely not. In fact, there's, uh, you've heard of Lulu and Ingram Spark is another one. There's KDP Amazon, of course. There's Barnes and Noble. I mean, just, just Google it, right? And you can get a whole bunch. It's just, they're endless. And once you supply them with your manuscript, what, what happens at that point? What does the self-publisher do and what don't they do? 
One of the things you need to do as soon as you're completing your manuscript is get a line edit. We've talked about this, I think it was in our first episode, the differences between developmental editing, line editing, and proofing. So you need a line edit. And so you need to be clear on whoever is publishing your book, are they providing you with a true line edit? Some do, some don't. Sometimes you have to pay extra for it. And, and so that you need to get really clear on that. Is Will this publisher give me a line edit? Because you want that. That's not proofing. Proofing comes after they've poured all your copy into the template. What you want is a good line edit that sucks the fat out of your writing. And so that's one thing to ask. Do all self-publishers proof your book? Yes. So they here's what happens. As soon as you give them a line edited manuscript that's clean, or they actually do the line edit for you, they take your manuscript and pour it into their design template, the interior design, exactly how your book is going to look. Now, you could hire a designer to do that for you yourself, right? But they do that for you. That's part of the service. That's what you pay for. They also will come up with a concept for your book cover, for your book cover. So that so between pouring all that content into a design template and providing you with an ISBN number and everything you need to get published, they'll also design your book covers. And then you'll provide them with blurbs on the back. They'll write some cell copy for you. And you'll say, I have these four authors that are going to, or four people that are going to endorse the book. Typically you have three to four people on the back who endorse a book. You provide that. They don't provide that. You provide that. They've read the manuscript and they're saying, this manuscript is the best thing since this and that. So, but yes, so the proofing then is a really important process in which they proof your manuscript and you have to approve it. So that's a really important piece that you talk about. So when they're proofing it, you can't just depend on them. Right, you have to stay vigilant. You have to stay vigilant. So they also provide this funny thing called the ISBN number. Yeah. Right? But there's also this other avenue that people can take, which is they can handle the design. Like they're the general contractor of the project. They can handle, they can hire it out to have it designed. They can hire a line editor. They can hire a copy editor. They can get their own ISBN. Then all they have to do is get it to Amazon and have them print it. That's right. So you create a, you create a, that's exactly right. You create a login, you create a, an account with kdp.amazon.com. And it's so simple to do, but you're in a sense, you're right. You're the general contractor. Instead of depending on a quote unquote self publisher to do the book design, you have somebody doing the book design, both the cover and then you're, you're running all the, the proofing. It's all on you. That's exactly right. And you can do that. And then you just provide that manuscript to uh, KDP. They have a, an interface that is very simple to use. And you can also have your designer convert the book into an ebook format. In fact, you'll have to probably outsource that to someone who specializes that. So once the book is fully designed, fully proofed, you'll send it to uh, there's organizations like bookbaby.com. Uh, you can just Google, you know, and so there's two different, generally two different ebook formats. And so you'll get those and they'll create those for you. And you upload that to Amazon. You upload the Amazon one for Kindle. And, and you're off and running. So what happens when an author becomes passive at this publishing phase? A book is created that you're embarrassed to hand to your friends. Because what's embarrassing about it? Sometimes you don't know that you have to pay attention to what's the paper going to look like. 
Is it just a bright white paper? Is it a off-white? Is it an off-white color? So paying attention to paper, paying attention to the font size, does it look horsey? Is it large and horsey? And what are the margins like? You create a book and it, it looks like your, your junior in high school could have published the book. Right. And, and we always say if it smells and looks like a self-published book, then it is a self-published book. That's exactly right. (laughs) And so what you don't want, if you're a professional and you have, you're very professional in your presentations and in your, your external world, everything is polished and buttoned down. And then you have this book that looks like my 12 year old uh, Jalen could have published. And actually she does some really good work. The technology is so great now. So you have to maintain vigilance. I like the word that you use. That's a great word vigilant throughout and you need to trust your gut when something doesn't look right, smell right, taste right. I think it would also be beneficial once you get the galleys from the publisher to approve to send it to somebody who has not yet read the book because they may even catch something that the self-publisher's proofer didn't catch. Oh, that's a great insight. Always, that is one of the last things to do. And when you do that, they'll catch things that you're like, oh my gosh, I'm so glad I had somebody read it. Don't have your mom do it. Don't have a friend who's already read parts of the book. And don't be embarrassed to have people read it. I know that I had a friend who self-published a book and they didn't have many reviewers review it even after it was proofed by the self-publisher. And it went out to family members and friends and people in their community And it had a lot of errors in it, and it was pretty embarrassing. You pay all this money for a self-publisher, and yet to have that many errors really kind of dings your credibility. It does. And just because you pay a a self-publishing firm like Lulu or KDP, Amazon, at the end of the day, it's your book. It's not their book. And so they take no blame. And every time you make changes, they'll, they'll ding you for it, right? There's charges. Now, it's not true with Amazon when you upload uh, a new copy, you can do that for free. But, uh, but certainly, if you're making changes to the template um, late in the game, often they give you so many changes and then it, they start charging you for it. If you're going to write a book, spend all that energy and time thinking and writing, it must continue to the very, very, very end of the process. You could do all this great work and it could look really sloppy. And I would say if you're not a visual person or if you are not an image-driven person and the cover doesn't matter that much to you, I would really seek outside counsel on that because you don't want it to look like a stock image that a thousand other people could purchase. You don't want it to look juvenile. You want to get an image that really connects with the emotion of the book. You want an image that doesn't look like it was purchased from a stock image resource. So just have somebody give you pure evaluation on your artwork as well. Absolutely. In fact, you and I just came from a meeting a few minutes before we did this podcast. We have another business uh, that Melissa and I, it's an agency, it's a marketing agency business. We were working with a financial services firm and they wanted to use a cliche, which is a picture of a tree with somebody holding, uh, what was the cliche? What was the image? Oh, it was a bridge. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, it was a bridge. Well, the tree is also a cliche in financial services, right? <laughs> and so there was this other image as an option that was really powerful. It was a picture of... A polar bear and an iceberg because yes. the concept had to do with responsible investing. And it was so powerful, and yet they resisted that. And I'm like, and, and, and Melissa and I really pushed hard. We said, you know... 
You could go with the cliche, which is the bridge, but that's a cliche. What would you think about this other image? It's so emotionally evocative. So you're right. If right. you are not someone who can make good judgments on art, and some of us can't do it as well, get some opinions. Right. This is the time to shop the book to people and to get it right before you push uh, accept and, and it's out the door. Right. And here's one caveat. Never use a picture of a woman or a man on top of a mountain with arms outstretched. <laughs> <laughs> For your inspirational book. Oh, my gosh. Oh, we published one like that several years back. And no matter what we said, arms outstretched on a beach, right? It's like it's the most cliche photo you could ever use for a book. It screams this is self-published. Absolutely. Stay away from those that scream self-published. In fact, what I would recommend is, is to find artwork. If you're using a photograph, find individual photographers that, that, that will sell you their imagery. And we do that often with, especially I do it with outdoor imagery for uh, my Two Guys in a River website. So if I'm looking for something more expensive, uh, something that I really need to be, something that's not a cliche, I try to search out other fly fishing people who have great photography and then purchase it directly from them as opposed to buying something off a stock site. Now there are some stock image sites where you can actually get some really good photos, but uh, you have to be really careful when you get to the artwork phase. My final question is on a topic that we could spend at least two or three more episodes on, but let's just briefly talk about distribution. Once the book is published, you push accept and it goes to the printer and is ready to be distributed. How do you actually get people to buy it? So there's two words here. One is distribution and the other is promotion. Amazon will distribute your book. You check off a different, some boxes, Japan, you know, different countries. They have all these different things. So you do that and that makes your book available to purchase off of online sites in those countries. But that doesn't get people to buy your book. There's no, quote, promotion that happens that drives people and drives demand for your book. So that's why we say, from the moment you start writing down some of those early sentences, you need to think about promotion. And we are going to do a, an episode on what do you do on day one when you've Publish the book and you have those copies in your hands. What do you do next? And we'll talk about, often there's what's called a six to 12 week window after you publish a book where you can promote it as new. Once you hit three months, four months, all of a sudden that book's not new and you need a different kind of approach to promoting the book. And so that's true whether you self-publish or whether you uh, publish with a traditional publisher. In fact, it's worse with a traditional publisher because they see their cycle in terms of quarters. So they have a list of books that they publish, let's say, in the summer quarter, in the summertime. And so once fall hits, they've got a whole new lineup and, and they kind of forget about you. You're ancient history. You are ancient history. So you need to think about promoting your book over a period of, from the time that book is, is started, and you can start before that. There's all these different ideas to pre-sell the book and don't give them all away yet Dave I, I won't but but you need a that's why you need a marketing plan that's part of your book proposal that you've started way back when you completed that first chapter because you'll revise it you'll add things to it the last thing you want to do is start thinking about promotion <laughs> the moment you get those first offs those those first books 
that you've ordered from Amazon. That that is the wrong time to start thinking about. That is not promotion. a strategy. That is not a strategy. <laughs> well, that wraps up another episode of this podcast. Thanks so much for listening today. I'm Melissa Parks. And I'm Dave Getz. Now buckle up and write.